Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Page 975, beginning at verse 16. I am sending you out like a sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household... This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Janice. If you'd like to keep that passage open, that would be uh, very helpful. Uh, there's also, a, in amongst the different papers you were given on the way in, a, a handout that you use to make notes or follow along, to, follow along if you would like. Let's pray together before we begin. Father, we do pray for your help. Uh, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to hear the Lord Jesus pray for the help of your spirit as we apply this into the world we live in today. And we pray this, that we might be better equipped to go out and proclaim the glorious gospel of the the kingdom of the heavens uh, to a world around us desperately in need of that message. And we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now our country, I think, probably likes to think of itself as a fairly relaxed and tolerant place. Certainly a relaxed and tolerant place to live as a Christian, and I suppose, relatively speaking, it is. But most of us also will have Christian friends who have um, faced perhaps some quite severe opposition or persecution at work or other settings because of their Christian faith. Sometimes it will come from an, an institution, sometimes from other religious people, some, uh, even some from people calling themselves Christians. And many more of us, indeed, will know uh, those whose Christianity has caused difficulty and tension within their families. And many of us here this morning, I'm sure, will have faced these things for ourselves. I know that I have uh, in many ways. And I want you to imagine just for a moment that, that uh, a new Christian uh, comes to you. Um, and she's surprised by this. She's surprised by the kind of reaction that she's got for her faith. 
and she comes to you for help and advice. Let's call her Jane. Uh, Let's suppose that Jane was called by the grace of God just a few months ago, Uh, but since then it has been remarkably difficult. The HR department at at work have reacted uh, very badly to her setting up a a prayer group. Uh, They've talked of discipline. Her friends don't like the way that she's changed some of the things that she's saying. And her family have been so suspicious, they'll hardly talk to her. It's extremely tense uh, when she's with her close family. And uh, we might well say that she is at a very vulnerable moment in her Christian life. It's early days, and it's a vulnerable moment. And she comes to you for help. And as well as encouraging her at the time, uh, it would be nice to be able to give her something to take away, to, to, to read later perhaps. A survival handbook, say, for the for the Christian life, for this surviving this kind of thing she finds herself up against. Uh, like this one, uh, perhaps. About 10 years ago, I was given uh, this book for Christmas. It's called The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. You might remember these coming out. And it's one of those books that come out at Christmas, I think primarily directed at, at men who are otherwise impossible to buy presents for, uh, into which category I fitted even 10 years ago. Um, but it actually, it's quite a fun book. Uh, it has entries like, uh, you know, how to survive a shark attack, how to survive an, an alligator attack. It's quite useful when we're in Australia. And it's a very good book for people like me. Um, it means that when I get on a plane, I've already worked out you know, what I'm going to do if the entire crew simultaneously have a heart attack. Uh, so I found it a useful and helpful book. It seems to have spawned a whole load of sequels, 11 related books on uh, survival handbook to travel, weddings, parenting. There's even one on golf. Uh, But there isn't yet one on Christianity. And that's the gap. That's the gap in the market we're going to be filling this morning based on these verses from Matthew chapter 10. A handbook to give to people like Jane. How to survive being openly Christian in a hostile world. Now, you'll know that uh, thus far in this little series on Matthew chapter 10, we've seen that Jesus wants us to become gospel multipliers. That is, people who reproduce and multiply uh, what Jesus did and said and take the message, the good news of the kingdom, out into the world. Uh, Jesus wants us to be motivated by compassion to pray for that. And he also wants us to be willing to participate in that ourselves. The harvest is plentiful, he has said. We might not believe it, but that is his promise. The harvest is plentiful. And as he sends us out into that harvest field, he casts us out into that harvest field. He most certainly doesn't want us to be unprepared for what we might face there. He doesn't want us to be held back by fear. We began to see that last week and it continues in our verses today. And this time we're going to see that he wants us to be prepared for opposition and persecution, not held back by the fear of it. But there is a little bit of a difference from last week, whereas last week we were talking about going out with the the gospel message and and testing others with the the good news of the kingdom. Um, Here it's really the other way around. Really it's very much us being tested This is about disciples of Jesus being tested by the hostility they face as they go out with the gospel message, by that link that they have to Jesus. 
And the question is, the question we're trying to answer this morning is, will we survive that test? How will we survive that test? Well, in these verses, here's how. Here's how to survive being openly Christian in a hostile world. We might summarize it like this. Jesus says, don't be surprised by opposition. Rather, be prepared for it. And perhaps the main thing we'll see towards the end is, in all of that, look to Jesus. Be like Jesus. So we're going to look at that in two parts this morning. And we're going to begin with Jesus' survival advice. And we'll find that in verses 16 through to 23. Don't be surprised, says Jesus, by the hostility you face. Be prepared. Now, I think we could say that there are four sub-entries under this part of Jesus' handbook on how to survive as a Christian. And they are these, how to survive among wolves, how to survive being arrested, how to survive your family wanting to kill you, and then how to survive persecution in general. The first and last of those are perhaps the most general ones and more specific ones in between. So number one, number one in the handbook, how to survive among wolves. Uh, We're beginning at verse 16, and this is what Jesus says. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. So here's the first warning. Here's the first danger. And already already it's not looking good, is it? You see, as I understand what um, wolves do to sheep whenever they can, is to tear them into tiny little pieces as quickly as they possibly can. Sheep are vulnerable animals in the midst of wolves. Very vulnerable. And the bad news here is that, uh, as Jesus says this, he is giving a general warning. Generally speaking, this is what being an, an open, compassionate Christian is going to be like in a hostile world. Jesus says it's like being a sheep among wolves. So that's the danger. So let's listen to the survival advice. Here it is. Therefore, says Jesus, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. We were at uh, lunch with some friends in Australia a few years ago, and I was introduced to someone who was interested to hear that I was studying Matthew's gospel, and he was particularly interested in that because he wanted to know about this very verse. And his question was this, you know, why, why are we told to be like snakes? What an extraordinary thing to be told to be like. Why on earth would Jesus want us to be like snakes? And it is very surprising when you stop to think about it. Because snakes in the Bible, you will know, don't exactly have very good associations. In the Bible, the big association we might think of, first and foremost, is, the, is with the snake or serpent in, in Genesis chapter 3, where we learn the serpent after what he does, is consigned by God to be the the lowest of the low. So why would Jesus teach like this? Why are we being asked to be like that, to be like the lowest of the low? Well, you might also remember that the other characteristic of the the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 was its craftiness, its craftiness, its smartness. It's the same word um, that's, Translated here as shrewdness in verse 16. Exactly 
the same word. So it's a brave move here, but what Jesus wants is, is that kind of smartness, that kind of shrewdness, but with all the evil, all the evil completely stripped away. Hence, shrewd as snakes, but as innocent as doves. Remember that earlier in Matthew's gospel, a dove descends on Jesus at his baptism. And it signifies the life-giving spirit of God. You know, a new creation uh, coming in under the shadow of death. So this is to be all in line with that. Crafty, yes, smart, yes, but absolutely innocent, absolutely in line with the spirit of God. So it's actually quite a lot packed into one verse, isn't it? Uh, put it all together. And Jesus is warning us that he's sending us among people who would harm us if they could. So he calls us to, if you like, be smart. Work around them with an agile, flexible cleverness. If I could put it this way, Jesus wants us to be as smart about being compassionate servants of the Lord as the serpent in Genesis 3 was smart about being evil. That's basically what he's saying here. Now, we might well ask, you know, what's, what exactly is that going to look like in practice? Uh, well, let's see, I think, is the answer to that. As uh, we see Jesus focused down on some, some real examples uh, taken from both public life and the family in what he says next. So let's move on and look at the second entry in Jesus' survival handbook, and it's this. How to survive being arrested. How to survive being arrested. You see, the warning here is that we won't always be able to avoid the wolves. Look at the end of verse 17. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Now, remember why all this is happening. This is happening because the message the disciples are to proclaim is about Jesus, is about the coming kingdom of the heavens, and it's it implies the coming judgment of those opposed to God. It's saying that that is close and urgent. As that was explained and expanded, it would have explicitly stated that Jesus was divine. And it would have strongly implied that Jesus, the, the Jewish leadership at the time were corrupt and facing judgment. For such insult and blasphemy, the first disciples would have been taken before the local Jewish councils. And many of them then flogged. What's more, this is a political message. This message stated that the Roman emperor was not Lord. Uh, Jesus is Lord. It was politically inflammatory. Uh, so more big trouble for those early disciples. Big, big trouble. Today, the Christian in a Muslim country has to say that Muhammad was a false prophet. That is a direct implication of the gospel message. Big trouble for the Christian living in a Muslim country. What's more, under Islamic apostasy law, all schools of Islam agree that on the death penalty for Muslims who convert to Christianity. Now, that death penalty is rarely put into practice officially because of the kind of repercussions that would have, but it's frequently put into practice unofficially. Millions of Christians today in the world live under that threat. And in many, many cases, it has indeed been carried out. 
And as I was saying earlier, even the Christian in a country like ours, which thinks itself as relatively free and tolerant, uh, may be at risk. You see, we also are coming out with a message which is found to be offensive and inflammatory. We say that the only hope for humanity lies in Jesus. And you will know full well that people really dislike that. They hate the exclusivity of that. Part of our message is that there is a divine standard of morality that's affirmed by Jesus himself. And you will know that people hate that too. It's an affront to their autonomy. It's an affront to what they feel is a right for themselves to decide what is right and wrong and to choose what they do. And uh, we find that for all these things and more, uh, Faithful and peace-loving Christians will find themselves in court from time to time. And perhaps that is something that's going to get more and more frequent in our country. So what's Jesus' advice this time? Well, first, verse 17, be on your guard. Be on your, be on your guard. Be aware that this might happen. Don't be surprised. Remember, you're sheep among wolves. It's not surprising that this is going to happen to you. But second, if you do find yourself in court, don't think that it's all gone horribly wrong. It is, in fact, you can see this in verse 18, it is, in fact, an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to be a witness. You will be there as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles, says Jesus. Furthermore, don't be anxious, don't be worried about what you're going to say in that moment. At verse 19. I was saying last week that um, we do need to be careful in reading these, this chapter of Matthew's gospel. And that this is instruction that uh, was given to particular people. It was given to the, the 12 at a particular time uh, for a particular mission that's limited at this point to the, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So we do need to bear that in mind all the time. However, these are instructions also. This is teaching that is written down for our benefit too. And we, it is possible to think through how this is going to work out uh, for us and who are involved in the, the wider mission uh, to the nations. And in this instance, I can't see any good reason why these promises don't apply uh, to us too. It's very striking that at the end of the gospel, Jesus promises all, all disciples that he sends out into the the mission for the nations. I shall be with you. I shall be with you even to the end of the age. In other words, he will be there to help them in moments like this, in these high-pressure moments. What's more, in the book of Acts, we find uh, Peter equipped to speak in front of uh, Jewish councils, and he does so with uh, a very surprising boldness uh, by the Spirit. Paul is equipped to speak in front of both uh, Jewish and Gentile courts. And it's not just apostles in the book of Acts. Stephen in Acts 7, full of faith in the Spirit, is likewise helped to witness faithfully to the Lord Jesus in a high-pressure moment. So the reassurance of these verses is this, that in those high-pressure moments, it's the disciplinary hearing, the law court, uh, the, the ecclesiastical court maybe, uh, perhaps even when quizzed on TV or radio but with hostile questions, that God is with, is with us. We are not alone in those situations. 
and we shall be helped. The third entry in the handbook is this. How to survive your family wanting to kill you. How to survive your family wanting to kill you. And I guess the warning here is that sometimes the wolves may be very, very close to home, even indeed in the home. From verse 21, Jesus warns, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. Just think first about these uh, 12 being sent out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's like being sent out to family, really. Um, the fa- God's family at the time. So that whenever they were rejected, it would, it would be a, a moment like this, I suppose. Something like a family breakup. Quite a hard thing to go through. Uh, for these disciples... They would have felt this very personally, I think. Later in the gospel, Peter says to Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. And from the context, we can work out that he's including, we have left our families to follow you. Even today, I know of uh, one Jewish man in London who began to follow Jesus. And his family did what, uh, what's sometimes called sitting shiva. It's a seven-day period of mourning for him. Once he'd done that, Uh, Once he'd uh, dedicated his life to Jesus, uh, so far as they were concerned at the time, he was dead. They wanted nothing more to do with him. I've already mentioned that if you convert from Islam to Christianity in a Muslim country, you're officially under a death sentence under Islamic law. Unofficially, this may sometimes be carried out by your immediate family in something like an honor killing. You go to the uh, Barnabas Fund website and you'll find dozens and dozens of harrowing examples of where this has really happened. Uh, take uh, Fatma Al-Materi, you may remember her from a few years ago. She was a young Saudi woman. She learned about Jesus on the internet and uh, decided to follow him, amazingly, marvelously. Uh, you may have heard what happened to her when her family noticed the cross on her computer screensaver, discovered she'd converted from Islam to Christianity. Uh, they did this. This is her closest family. They cut out her tongue and they burned her to death. Now, to a very, very, very much lesser extent, I think many of us, uh, even here this morning, will have felt some form of this, some form of the, the hostility that can come from our close families. I've certainly felt this for myself. My Christian faith divides me from the rest of my non-Christian family, and it's done that for nearly 20 years now. Something I've found very hard. Every year, it's very hard, you know, going back for Christmas or other events. No doubt many of us here will be able to say something, something similar. So what is Jesus' advice What is his advice? Well, it's there at the end of verse 22. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. The advice is, keep going. Jesus knows how hard this is. Hatred is awful. Being at the receiving end of this is 
terrible, especially when it's from close family. Family division itself is hard, difficult, awful, really hard. But endure to the end. The fourth and final entry in this part of Jesus' survival manual is this. How to survive persecution in general. Verse 23. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. There's the, uh, the warning and the survival advice all in one. And again, it fits very much with being as shrewd as snakes and innocent as, as doves. This is precisely about that kind of smartness. But again, it's quite surprising and challenging, isn't it? I think our natural tendency uh, when, we're, when we're opposed, when we face hostility, is to fight back. You know, that's, that's our natural tendency when we're attacked to go sort of all sort of Bruce Willis and, and Matt Damon. I know I've got, I've got many, you know, extrovert, full-blooded Christian friends who actually seem to relish getting into a fight, enjoy it. But it's quite striking here, isn't it? That is not actually what Jesus tells us to do in general. There may be a time for it, but in general, this is what he says. He tells us to work around the opposition. And uh, the key here is to look at the reason that he gives. The reason that he gives in that verse. I tell you the truth, says Jesus, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. In other words, there is no time. There's no time to mess around picking fights. The situation is too urgent. The Son of Man is coming soon. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's quite a long story, but, but to cut, cut, cut that very long story short, for, those, for these first disciples, that was the moment when Jesus himself was, as the Son of Man, was vindicated in his death and resurrection. That was the moment in salvation history that put an, an end to this exclusive mission to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and began the mission to all the nations that we, that we find at the end of Matthew's gospel. Now, we're involved in that wider mission for us. Uh, this is talking about the moment when Jesus will return to bring final justice to the world. This coming of the Son of Man in glory, Jesus describes it at Matthew 25. Although we don't know exactly when that's going to be, the the death and resurrection of Jesus guarantee the certainty of that day so strongly that we too live at a time of similar urgency, very similar urgency. And it does seem to be precisely that sense of urgency that's driving Jesus' teaching very much in this chapter. The time we have is short. The needs around us are great. I think of the prayers that we were praying earlier for, for, for Jonathan and Zoe Norgate. The needs around us are great. People need the gospel around us. The harvest is plentiful. We started to think about this last week. It, it, it does seem hard, doesn't it? And I think a number of us struggled with this, perhaps even cold or hard-hearted, to, to move our energy and witness away from people who are unresponsive. We were being asked to kind of move on in that situation by Jesus last week. Why, why would we do that? Why should we do that? Well, this really is the answer, isn't it? Because the time is limited. We do it out of compassion 
for others, for those struggling under the shadow of sin and death who desperately need to hear the good news of the kingdom, but who haven't heard it yet. It's the same in these verses. We might feel bad, perhaps even guilty sometimes about moving away from an area or situation of high persecution. But if we do move away, we do so out of compassion for those who haven't heard the news. There may be a time to stand and fight, as Paul himself discovered, the Apostle Paul himself discovered and others. But if we do move away, we do it to continue the ministry, to continue the mission, out of compassion for those who haven't heard the news yet. It's quite striking in Matthew's Gospel. This is the basic pattern of Jesus' own ministry. When persecution places that ministry under threat, he withdraws to another place. It's one of the repeated themes in the Gospel so that that ministry can continue. It's the pattern the Apostle Paul followed too. When the persecution gets too high for Paul, he moves on to the next town. So we shouldn't hesitate really to to follow their good example. So let me summarise this instruction, this teaching. Be warned, says Jesus, I'm sending you out among people who will want to harm you. So be smart and yet innocent as you do that. Uh, Be warned, you you might well face prosecution. Uh, So be wary and yet not anxious or worried because your God will be with you as you speak. Be warned, you will be hated, even by family, even by the people closest to you. But keep going to the end and you will be saved. Be warned, you will be persecuted, but keep going. Keep going with that work of compassion Because the time is urgent. The time of salvation and vindication and justice is near. It's pressing. So that's the teaching that uh, Jesus gives here. Don't be surprised. Be prepared. I imagine that it does leave us with quite a a number of, of questions, of burning questions. Like, for example, can we really do this? Can we really manage what Jesus is asking us to do here? It's an extraordinary thing that he's sending out his disciples to do, isn't it? Well, let's look for some answers under our, our final point this morning. Don't be surprised. Look to Jesus. Be like Jesus. I, I do hope in some ways that Jesus, what Jesus has said about being a, an open and compassionate Christian in a hostile world has shocked, has shocked you in, in some ways, perhaps even dismayed you. Maybe the first question it raises is, why, why is it so bad? Why is it so bad as this? And the basic answer you can see here is the one we might expect. It's bad, as bad as this because of Jesus. In fact, we've seen this already. Why does all this trouble happen to the disciples? Well, verse 18, you'll be arrested on my account, says Jesus. Verse 22, people will hate you because of me. And you can see the general pattern here in verses 24 and 25. Why is it like this? Because a student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the servant to be like his teacher and a student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house is called Beelzebub, that is, the devil is slandered, in other words, how much more the members of his household. If it happened to Jesus, then it will happen to us which I suppose raises a a second question. If that is true, 
Why on earth would I follow him? Given all of that, why on earth would anyone sign up for this, for this kind of thing? I mean, think about some of the other warnings that we're given in life. Uh, Some of the worst case scenarios picked up in this book. You see, the, the best way to survive a shark attack is actually, it's actually, isn't it, not to get in the water. Just steer clear from the water. Certainly don't go swimming at dawn or dusk. The best way, the simplest way to avoid having to land a plane in an emergency is don't get on the plane. You know, stay on the ground. That, you know, that's pretty sensible advice, really, isn't it? Surely in the same way, the best way for me to avoid all this hardship, all this suffering that Jesus is telling me about is to keep as big a distance from him and from Christianity as I possibly can. Surely that is the thing to do. In other words, as we try and think about actually doing this, we do need some sort of help, don't we? We need some sort of guarantee that what Jesus is saying is, is absolutely true and unavoidable, that, that judgment is coming. The only, way, the only way to avoid it is to follow him. And that this will then entail facing this kind of persecution. And the only way to, to, to avoid that is to, to follow him, stand firm and to be saved. And as we finish, I want, I want to show you that Jesus does indeed give us such a guarantee. And it is a personal guarantee written in his blood. Why on earth would anyone sign up for this? Well, because of what Jesus has gone through ahead of us. You see, if we were to read on in Matthew's gospel, we would find Jesus doing exactly the things he's teaching about here, facing exactly the things he's teaching about here. We'd find him more and more like like a sheep among wolves, having to act shrewdly and yet with innocence, just as he's described in verse 16. We would see him in the gospel story, constantly flexible, on the move, searching, for opportunities for compassion, withdrawing from opposition so that he can continue his ministry. In the end, we would see him arrested himself and unjustly put on trial. And the pattern that he faces exactly as it is here in verses 17 and 18, first before the Jewish council, then before the Gentile governor Pilate. Read on in the gospel, we find Jesus divided from his blood family, as in verse 21. We would see him more and more hated by people, culminating in the hatred that pours out as he is put to execution on the cross. But throughout that, he stands firm. And he does that for those he knows are going to be following him. He does it for their sakes, for their salvation. And as he does that, he is vindicated in the end. His father saves him and raises him. And at that moment, he achieves us and secures our salvation. He achieves our vindication, our resurrection, by going ahead and facing all those things. And the fact that he did take all this on and was proved right in the end as his father raised him to life proves to us, verse 22, Verse 22 is the, is the key promise here, isn't it? But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. The death and resurrection of Jesus 
guarantees that. Those who stand firm to the end, trusting their Father in heaven as he did, will most definitely be saved. And certainly when these first disciples saw the risen Jesus, and we we have that account at the end of the gospel, it did indeed transform them. I mean, I'd rather imagine them um, in Matthew chapter 10, rather dismayed by what Jesus is saying, looking at one another, aghast, wondering what, what have we signed up for? What kind of teacher is this? Who could suffer the kind of things that he's talking about? And uh, I'd rather dither around in that situation as we read in the gospel. But later, it was different. When they saw the risen Jesus, everything changed. Wow. They must have thought, it really is true after all. It really is true. What he said, all those things. That moment, seeing the risen Jesus, transformed them. It turned them into, no thank you, not today sort of people, into, let's go for it sort of people. Even in the face of exactly the sort of dangers we've talked about this morning, um, each one of which they took on gladly. And we're going to pray in a moment that uh, we would likewise be transformed uh, just, like, just like them. So, we are being tested. We do need to be aware of that. But, don't be surprised. Rather, be prepared. Don't be surprised. Look to Jesus, what he did for us, for our salvation. Follow Jesus in the same pattern. How will we survive? Uh, what, uh, what, uh, what book would you give Jane, that new Christian I talked about at the beginning, struggling at work, with her, struggling with her friends, struggling with her family? Would you give her a book like this? Uh, no, of course, you'd give her a Bible. Or you'd turn to Matthew chapter 10 in the Bible she already has, you get a highlighter out and perhaps you would mark out these very verses. Here are the warnings. Here is the survival advice. Uh, But here perhaps most especially is Jesus himself. And uh, he stands here as the reason why we would do this. Uh, he He stands here as our guarantee that it is all worth it in the end. He stands firm as our guarantee of verse 22, that the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're sometimes uh, perhaps oblivious of the kind of situation that we really are in. And uh, we forget that um, if they acted with hostility and hatred to you, most certainly, as we place our faith in you and follow you, they will do the same with us. So help us this morning not to be surprised by that, rather prepared for it. I pray that that would take away some of the fear that we have of, of persecution and opposition. We pray that it would help us to be more open and bold in our proclamation. We pray that as we look to the risen Jesus and see him vindicated by by you, raised from death, that that would convince us that all this is true 
but also that our security in you and because of you is absolutely secure. We pray that you would write that on our hearts this morning, that we could be convinced that those, those who persevere to the end, those who stand firm to the end, will most certainly be saved. And we ask for your help in this, in Jesus' name. Amen.